All right, said this is the first ever, how about this, first ever podcast with Coach Mark Godfrey. It's called The Front Row, and uh, I am lucky enough to have the one and only Cedric Kyles. Now, you understand most people don't even know who Cedric Kyles is. They don't even know. Yes. So They go by Ced the Entertainer, so I've got him. Yes. Thank you for joining me. What's up? Must be in the front row. That's the old Bob Euchre <laughs> right there. What's up? In the front row. Well, before we start, let me, uh, for those, I'm, I'm sure most people know about everything you've done, but, um, you know, you've hosted comedy, uh, Def Jam, your stand-up comic, you've been on the barbershop, the movies, uh, you yeah. hosted uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but I think yeah. one thing people might not know, Sid, is uh, some voiceovers in Madagascar, and yeah. the, one, the one that surprised me was Charlotte's Web. Who were you in Charlotte's yeah. Web? Which I was character? one of the goose. I was one of the goose. So <laughs> it was two goose. I played me. It was actually me and Oprah. I played Oprah's husband as one of the goose in uh, Charlotte's Web. That's too funny. And he also uh, right now has the number one sitcom. Congratulations again on CBS called The Neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, up against Monday Night Football. So uh, you've had quite a career, said. Congratulations. Yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Uh, yeah, been very blessed. Started, you know, started in St. Louis, uh, you know, that those mid uh, to later 80s when I first started back then, it was, you know, cable was, you know, fairly new coming along, you know, cable television and the, the streamers, the HBOs of the world were starting to, you know, catch a real foothold. But, uh, you know, so television was growing. Uh, but the world of stand-up was growing, and it was mainly used to be all, you know, just kind of comedy clubs around the country that you would perform at. But then uh, right in uh, the kind of uh, 87, 88, started to be this resurgence of black comedy, black comedy clubs. Uh, and so the opportunity to get famous and get notoriety uh, became more, you know, was, was kind of outside of the gatekeepers, if you will, uh, a Hollywood gatekeeper. So I was able to, you know, make a name for myself as a great stand up in the Midwest, travel around Memphis, Dallas, you know, Little Rock, you know, Chicago, and make a living, man, make, make real money. So then, of course, that eventually led me to California. So, you know, uh, <clears throat> a few years back, you and I got in a car up in uh, Porter Ranch, California, and we had to drive all the way to Carson. We were going to watch the Chargers before they went into SoFi. And I remember sitting in the back seat. It was just you and I, and, and we had a guy driving us. But I asked you uh, a little bit about your story. And I'm going to tell you one thing that stuck with me, Said, is that, you know, you told me when you were you were young, you were writing jokes. And, and if I get this wrong, you you got to correct me, but... Uh, you were writing jokes for maybe a friend of yours, and uh, they maybe had an amateur night or something, and they encouraged you to go on stage, and you were actually yes. kind of hesitant. You were actually a little bit nervous, and I don't know. I think you told me the first night you actually didn't go up on stage. Is that right? No, no. So it's it two different stories, but uh, <laughs> I, I did. Uh, it was a guy that uh, he was a friend of a friend. He used to. He was. A, he was a comedian. He used to like the things I would say, like just things I would say when we hang out laughing. And and he told me that he was a comedian. Basically, he told me, he was like, yo, I made 1400 this week. I made 1100 last week. I said, doing what? And he was like, I'm do, I do jokes. And I was like, get out of here. And he basically said, if anybody, if anybody can do this, you can. 
And so he basically taught me how to be a comedian. He showed me how to set my jokes up, how to do a formula. We went over things that I would say, like, on a regular basis, things that he thought was funny, that was mine. And then uh, the first time I ever did comedy, I won $500. I won $500. <laughs> now, I got pretty popular locally. But uh, you, the other story you kind of mixing up is that I came oh. to California oh. and I came out here to to, to make it. And I saw Robin Harris and Martin Lawrence and Damon Wayans and Tommy Davidson and all these, and Jamie Foxx, some of these great people on stage. And I was so scared. I didn't go on stage. Like they told me, like, yo, come up. And I was shook. I was like, nah, I ain't ready. So that was, that was one of my things where, I, you know, coming to the big leagues and knowing you weren't ready for the big leagues was like, all right, now nah, let, me, let me go get some more batting practice in. So when you were in, uh, if I have this right, Cape Girardeau, Missouri, it's Southeast Missouri State, I want to say, and uh, that's where you went to college, but said to get from there to L.A., and and there's a lot of people, you know, you know them, I know them, there's a lot of young people have, like, these great aspirations. They see somebody like yourself on TV and Jamie and Denzel and all these guys, and they say, I want to be like that. I, I can do it for you. What, how did you have the courage? Because a lot of people are afraid, and they just don't ever take the chance. And then they have regrets later. But for you, you, you took that chance. You took a step and said, I'm going. Man, you know, I tell you that that's, the, that's one of the biggest things I tell young people all the time is that one of the, the greatest, you know, hindrance we have about life is this, this, this uh, thing of doubting ourselves from even trying. We'll doubt ourselves out of the situation. We'll give a hundred excuses why it won't work before we even give it a shot. Uh, the thing about me is that, you know, I was, you know, I think that being the only male in a single parent household was just my mother and my younger sister. But the male in that family, I had to take on, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, patriarchal energy early on, like be the man of the house, if you will. And so I always kind of had those kind of guts, those entrepreneurial balls. I, I used to sell sunglasses at the swap meet. <laughs> I would trade uh, bronzes from uh, from uh, auctions. We had learned, uh, and a friend of mine taught me how to go to, to death auctions and find paintings and pictures, and we would auction and go and resell them for money. So I was always a bit of a hustler, man, so... Uh, when, uh, but when the opportunity, you know, for me to find myself in, in stand up, uh, I came up with a plan. I was working at State Farm. I was a, a claims adjuster, uh, so I was making good money. But I needed a plan in order to give that job up, you know, because it was one of those. You know, I kind of grew up in a generation where my mother, who was a, a, a teacher and first generation college, you know, degree from uh, from her family was like, you know, she just kind of gave the, the point of view that you get a good job, you get a corporate job, and you work your way up. You don't you don't dream. And so, but I always dreamed. I was always a person. So I knew I couldn't just quit my job because I had this great job at State Farm. So I had a strategy. I saved up some money. I think it was about 12 grand back then. I think I saved up like 12 grand to kind of cover my, and money. then I booked, huh? <laughs> Big money. Yeah, money, come on, man. Grand. I was rich, dog. Look, get out of here, lucky. I had a Ford Escort that, you know, my car note was a hundred and six dollars. So I'm good, right? You know, like, uh, 
<laughs> so I could handle that. And then, uh, and then, and so, but then I booked uh, a comedy club that had 22 clubs and they would let you come twice a year. So they gave me 44 dates. So they gave me another base salary. That's when I quit State Farm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, comedy started to move shows like, um, you know, BT's Comic View and Def Comedy Jam started to come on and give more notoriety. And, you know, instantly I went to from a low level comic to a person that has stardom and name recognition. And, you know, next thing you know, you, you're earning twenty five, you know, three thousand a show and you're doing four, four shows a week. You making some money. You're going to be like, yeah, I can live a good life with this kind of money. So <laughs> that's different. When you were just young, said, and, and here's, here's what I've learned. Most people that, that I come across that have had a lot of success, that I've been around athletes, coaches, probably more than I have, you know, people in entertainment. But usually there's still like a person or a time when somebody gave them a chance, even almost helped you up. You know, like somebody hired me for my first job in coaching and then kind of mentored me, but, but without that step, you know, I needed that first step. I can get the steps after, but that first step was big. Was there anybody for you, any person that you kind of look back and say, you know, I'm doing, I'm at the comedy uh, store and, you know, boom, somebody helped me along the way. Was anybody like that for you? Uh, For sure. I mean, you know, I mean, of course there was a number of people along the way, but probably the one I would consider most significant for me was, was, would be Steve Harvey. So Steve Harvey was a, he was a comedian that was out doing his thing, headlining, moving around. I'd driven to Dallas to perform at a different club. And when I got there, they had canceled me. They did. They, I was the opening act. It was a new owner. He was like, I, I only hire local opening acts. I'm not paying for you to stay here. I don't have a budget for you to have a hotel. So sorry. And so I'm stuck. I was. I drove all the way to Dallas, ten hours, uh, thinking I was gonna make three fifty, you know, and, and you know, and, and and be able to get back home with just a little three hundred fifty dollars, right? So Steve was starting another club in Dallas at that time. He and he was on the radio every morning. I'd heard about him, so I went by, and you know, he listened to my story. And luckily for me, that week the headliner wasn't doing well. So he said, you think you can make this crowd laugh? And I said, yeah. And he put me on stage after the headliner. And I, I went up and killed it. And he brought me back each night. And, and he said, as long as this guy, if this guy bombs, you're going up. And I was just <laughs> sat there and waited. And then and he paid me $200 and then, and then booked me to come back as the headliner a couple of months later and paid me $1,000. The first time I ever got paid $1,000. And then, of course, we became great friends, and that led to the Steve Harvey Show and Kings of Comedy and just so many things. And he's just went, always been one of those solid friends, mentors, got my back, look out for me, put me in the situations, take me to the next level with them. Any of those things, you know, where, um, you know, and of course, I've been able to return the favor when I start doing movies. I put him in you know, Johnson family vacation and, and then, you know, have them come do my show. And so, you know, of course we've grown to where it's all reciprocated, but that Steve would be one of the people I would say definitely was a person that lifted me up and, and, and put me on. Yeah. You know, I, I like listening to that said, because like even in my own life and coaching, you know, when I came, you know, I started at UCLA with Jim Herrick and he did that, you know, I, 
I was in L.A. playing for the uh, Detroit Pistons in the Summer League back when it was in L.A. Now it's in Las Vegas. But years ago it was at Loyola Marymount. And, you know, I got a call in uh, my hotel. And next morning I got in a taxi and went. And, you know, next thing he hires me. But just like you, you know, you had to kind of seek him out a little bit. And yeah. you, got that, you got that break. But without that, if you would have had the courage or you'd have sat back, none of this would have ever happened for you, Sid. And a lot of guys right. forget that. And they forget who's helped them along the way. And it's always been something that I've always tried to remember. You know, those people that have helped me along the way, you know, even if they're not perfect people, but they helped me. And so in that regard, yeah. I always want to be thankful for that. Yeah, that's right. I think there's a lot of times people try to do, you know, a full sum of a human being, whatever they have flaws or differences and, and to other folks, somehow they're supposed to resonate with you. But again, your story is uniquely individual. And, and you know, I could say that, you know, even my managers and my team that I have with me, these are guys, you know, that have been with me from the very beginning. And again, you know, uh, you know, we've learned and grew together and fought together and struggled together. And so, you know, it's a loyalty to that. That's, that means a lot to me, even when it's times that you feel like maybe, maybe, you know, I can do something different or it's time to elevate the game and go this way or whatever. You know, I do that with the understanding that this is my team that built me, not saying that I can't add these other elements, but There'll be additions to, not necessarily where right. I got to take something out unless, uh, again, people have to be prepared in all cases to be ready for an opportunity mm -hmm. too, right? You don't, you don't just, you know, t to your point, you don't get there without being prepared or doing the work or getting, getting your, yourself ready so that when somebody like Coach uh, Herrick calls you, you know, like, all right, I'm coming to work, I'm showing up, mm -hmm. I'm, being, I'm being efficient, I'm being smart, I'm being a helpmate. I'm not going to be here just taking advantage right. of you, my boy kind of thing, or right. I'm your guy and, right. and rest on those, rest on those laurels. You know, said, I, I tell people all the time, cause it, you know, it comes up from time to time. And I, and I've mentioned that, you know, you and I are friends, but one thing I've always enjoyed about you from the first time I met you and, um, and I, I say this with all sincerity, you know, a lot of times in, in sports or entertainment or whatever it may be, you know, when people get some success, they, they, they don't, they're not as authentic. And I hate saying that, but it's actually true. One thing I appreciate about you has always been, you're just a real guy. Like you're a guy's guy. Like there's, when I'm with you around you and your family and your, and your wife and, and times we've been together, I've never one time ever felt like Sid kind of has this big time mentality. It's just like, you're just a guy's guy, you know, you're authentic, you're real and uh, and when I say that, I, I kind of wonder, for, you know, and I'm sure your your mother and your sister and your the home you're raised, but tell me about why you think that is important to you. You may not even realize it, but you are that way. And how, you know, where, where did that come from, Sid? Because that's who you are. Yeah, you know, I think that that's probably is a thing. Like, so my mother was a school teacher, and I think, you know, for me, I kind of grew up in a number of environments. I lived in a small town of Carruthersville, Missouri, till I was like. 10 you know again this is one of those towns small town you know everybody everybody kind of you know you 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 know everybody business and everybody know you and you know and and and, and there's a you know kind of a you know you know southern communication feeling about it then i moved to 
St. Louis and, you know, moved into the inner city, you know, when we first got there, a lot more kind of dramatic, a lot more action, a lot more, you know, got to be sharp, got to be tough, got to be, you know, you know, be able to, you know, fall in with different groups, you know, went to college and got educated, worked in corporate America. So, you know, it's this idea of understanding that people are, are not a monolith that you kind of got to, you, you got to know and be able to talk to and vibe with people on every level. So I've always kind of, you know, recognized that about the world. And so, you know, like, you know, you know, that there's going to be, there's going to be people that's bigger than you and, and smaller than you and people on different planes and every day in life. But most of the time, if you share the human experience, you're going to have something that you can learn from a person. So Never, you never necessarily walk in like somehow because I'm a, on television. I know the most. I'm the best. I'm I'm the coolest. You know, or the richest in any kind of situation. You'll be quite surprised in this world of like who does what and why. So, you know, that's my attitude about it, man. I just try to make sure I'm another person in the room doing my thing, appreciating and respecting everybody else that's in the room. And long as long as we operate from a level of respect, then that's pretty much how I do it. Well, and I think the uh, <clears throat> the evidence for for me, obviously, when I'm in around you and other people, but you know your family as well, and uh, you know you you've got a great family, uh, wonderful children who are just wonderful young people that are going to you know do yeah. well in life. And to me, you know, a lot of times, like you know, even coaching when I was in the ACC or SEC, and you know, people get excited about you know you're winning, but to me. The the, the uh, evidence usually is your family, you know, your children. I look yeah. at your children, and uh, they're a result, you know, of you and Lorna. They're 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 growing yeah. up to be uh, good citizens, and and so I think that be that that to me that's evidence of somebody who they really are, not not who you see on television or in a movie screen or that kind of stuff. So true, man. I think that that's that that is that's always the case, man. You know, and I feel very blessed to have that too, man. Because you know, you you do you. You, you can have great success on many levels. And, and I've seen it, you know, with other people where, you know, again, the, the, the effects of having a lot of, you know, adversity in their lives and, 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 and craziness leads to, you know, this instability outside of money or fame or whatever. Right. And I feel very blessed to have it all. Like I say, very, you know, very loving, caring wife, kids, you know, fun. We laugh a lot with each other. We, we, we spend a lot of time with each other and yet, you know, they're all individually, you know, their own people too. So then it's not like everybody's like going around needing to claim that they somehow connected to me in order to exist. They kind of have their own identities and personalities that work for them in their eco ecosystem. And so I really love that, you know, <laughs> my son the other, other day mentioned that he had to, he had to kind of, uh, he, uh, forget what happened. I forget who he said he met, uh, but he was sitting there. I think it was like a, a Bill Burr or another comedian, and he was like kind of in awe. And they was talking, and he was kind of like you know, like he went up to him kind of inadvertently, and then he said, you know, I got to a point where I just needed to just like let him know that I'm not a crazy person. I was like, oh, by the way, I've said the entertainer's son, and he's like, oh, okay. He said, he's like. He's like, all right, cool, man, because he was like, I kind of, I just 
caught myself like just coming over as a fan and just kind of like, you know, and I've seen people do it to you and I'm like, I know better. But I was like, but the fact that I did it, that it was like, I was like standing there kind of awkward. And I said, oh man, let me just tell you, I'm saying entertainer's son. And he, I mean, he's talked about you a lot. And so he was like, oh, okay, got it. So it, it was just funny that my son's like, I hate to, I hate to pull that one out. You know, I hate to pull that card out. That's fun. Let me ask you this one, Seth. So, like, when I'm coaching, <clears throat> when I was coaching and, uh, you know, you're going to play at Duke or at North Carolina, you're in the NCAA tournament or, you know, big games come up, you know, there's an excitement like a – it's not – you're not scared, but there's this anticipation, like, you know, the day of the game and it and it builds up and you you obviously – you want to be prepared and you're in – I'm in the hotel room and I'm, I'm thinking through everything, you know, that may or may not happen throughout the game because you want your team to be as prepared – so for you now, you know, you've done, you know, obviously sitcoms and movies and stand up comedy and, you know, the list goes on and on. You've you've hosted the Emmys like for you. If you look back, if, is there one or two or three of those that you would say, man, now you talk about some butterflies now. Uh, I got them and they were big. Or is that normal for you? Is it not? Or yeah, you know, one. I mean, it's still a thing. I mean, of course. Like any anything, once you do it a number of times, it becomes less. But you know, you know, I, I'm a person that has a great deal of respect for that audience that's paid money to come see me, right? So people got out their house, they put on their clothes, they paid money. So I got to deliver, man. So there is a you know a degree and elements of butterflies that kind of come, especially if I haven't been on stage for a while. Any little period where I'm off stage, and it's funny, it's probably like you coaching. It don't it don't take long, but you know, you go from you go from all right. I, my last tour date was in May, right? Like mm -hmm. May because we go and then we let the music acts take the summer months because they they come out and they're so big they just chew up all the tickets. Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Drake, all these artists are out touring right now. So comedians usually don't tour like heavily in the in the, in the summertime. So I haven't been on stage since March. Now I'm going to go and perform September 1st, 2nd in a casino in Oklahoma and I've been I've been shaking you know <laughs> stressing just like you know i gotta be ready i need to know i don't know what i'm talking about what you know and, it, it, and it's the it's the process now as soon as i get on stage boom i'm gonna know exactly boom. who i am and what i do boom. and i'm just gonna be like having a good time but it is that now uh you know so of course original kings of comedy is one of those moments uh when i did the white house correspondence dinner that was one where the butterflies will definitely show up because that was that's one where you you feel like you're out of your element. I'm not a political right. kind of sati satirical comedian, but I was asked to host the White House Correspondents Dinner when George W. Bush was president. And so it was fun. You know, it was it was but it was scary and I went up there and I did my thing, but it's one of those moments. Of course, hosting something like the Emmys, these are big moments that you know that, you know, a lot of people are counting on you for ratings. They're counting on you to keep that audience engaged. So these things become a big challenge of, you know, what what is it that you're bringing to the table? How does it happen? <clears throat> so for the normal that we're all out here, just we're learning. And uh, you're going to be you're going to put your hands down on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
how did you learn? Did you get something in the mail? Do they call you on the phone? <laughs> oh, how do you yeah, find you out get, that's happening? It's a committee. It's a committee. They call and they kind of let, let you know that you've been nominated. Uh, this is what's going on. There is a, you know, once you've been nominated to be on the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame, there is some criteria you got to meet. You got to get a certain amount of people to sign and people to vouch for you. And, and you know, and so, and then once you meet that criteria, uh, you know, it, it, is a, it is a fee because they got to do that. But sometimes you like your agencies or whatever, they raise that money for you because they, they clean it and they got all these things that, you know, like come with having your star on the fame. So you got to, you got to pay into this little thing, but it's, it's not, it's, it's fairly minimal for the recognition that you get. It's pretty awesome. So when you first got a letter and you got a letter from the committee or, or a phone call from the kid, yeah, you from get the, the from the was it the was Hollywood? It like, was it like, damn man, this is I, I got my hey man. And you know when I first moved to, when I first moved to L.A., my first apartment was a block over from Hollywood Boulevard. So like our little quick you know resources running to running to grab a soda or some chips. Or, you know, get a, you know, something fast for the house and batteries would, I would always walk up on Hollywood Boulevard. And of course, those names would be on the street. And as a young dude coming out to LA, you see those names, you see those great names, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the Lucille Balls and the, the Dean Martins and the Frank Sinatra's of the world and Sammy Davis Jr.'s and Richard Pryor's. You like, oh man. You know, like you, you see that with so much reverence and honor that you, you know, and Jackie Gleason was a big one for me. That was one of, when I was little, he was probably the most person I most recognized that I thought I could be. You know, he was a big fella. He was smooth. He danced. He sang. He dressed sharp. He, you know, and he had the ladies. You know, he was Jackie Gleason, man. You know, so I was like, yo, I saw, you know, I saw that imagery in myself. And so, you know, that was the kind of thing that you like, all right, cool. Can I bring that kind of, you know, magnitude back to bigger than life personality that is, you know, you know, a, a, a heftier guy, if you will. So, uh, so that was, uh, that was something that going up on that street, you know, never knowing that one day I would be up here. No, you don't, you don't even, you don't even really visualize it like that. Wow. That's amazing. Let me ask you this one said, cause I ask a lot of people this, um, that I've talked to over the years and, uh, it's always an, I always get interesting answers. So I'm going to get a little heavy here with you. Not heavy, but you know, I'm going to ask you a question. You know, we, we have children, I've got five and, uh, you're, all we're trying to do as parents, you're trying to do the best you can. I mean, that's all, you know, we, there's no real playbook, you know, you're just trying to do the best you can as a parent. But if I said to you, when your children were little, if you could breathe three or four characteristics into them, what do you think those, what do you think that would be? Those, if, if you could just say, man, I'm going to gift you this. And it's a, it's a characteristic that they're going to have for the rest of their life. For you, what do you think those might be? You know, for me, uh, one would be a um, citizenship, uh, kindness for others. Uh, uh, you know, I, I always like, I, I think that it's important to, to see the world as a whole. And that means that, you know, that citizenship means having this, this, this kind of uh openness to acceptance uh and also but um 
you know, just being a good citizen to everybody. Like, be a good citizen, man. Uh, be self-confident. Recognize that who you are is unique to the world and what you have to offer. Nobody else can bring it. So you got to show up. It's your job to be you. Be that, you know, and mm. be that. And 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 then, then I think, you know, probably the, one of the third ones is just have a spiritual foundation uh, about you is the is this which is a, a lot like citizenship but it's this recognition this recognition of not necessarily religion but this idea again of, of the spirit of the human is that we are we are born and built on this earth to live so live full man live life share give gifts off accept gifts receive things be let it be circular man and that's the thing that i'd like my kids to kind of because that that comes with you know accepting joy into your life and if you can if you can accept joy into your life you don't necessarily have to be the richest you don't have to be the fastest you just can be a person that can you know laugh when it's with you with friends you can share you can listen to others you can just be a, a person that can contribute and that's uh that's what i think is important i still preach that to them uh, you know these things to the day of course uh you know as they get older they start to make a little sense but i used to talk to them like that when they was babies i didn't really know how to talk baby talk so i'll be saying these kind of words you know to my little kid you're not a monolith son you gotta you gotta dig deep inside the... <laughs> my wife be like why are you talking to them like they in a uh, college lecture I, said, I don't know how to talk to kids <laughs> Ah, uh, that's a great answer. There's so many of those when I talk to people. It's interesting because, you know, I get a lot of different answers. But uh, I love, I love the, uh, you know, having a kind heart and being a great citizen. But I also, to me, said what you said is one of mine too. I always say, if I could, it would always be to breathe confidence. Like I want kids yeah. to be confident. You know, the, the, yeah, the young person out there who, who just has no confidence and he's afraid to try and. You know, they're, they're, uh, they break my heart, you know, because you want to yeah. you just want to put something in there like, man, go for it. Try it. You know, be confident in yourself. And if you fail, you fail. But you got to go. You got to try. So, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I, I say that, you know, again, failures are just really uh, building blocks to your future. You know, you got to You've got to you got to like have these these little mistakes to show you things that you can learn and go. You just don't get there just by dreaming it true. So, and you know, and I have to, you know, do that with my son probably a lot more than my daughter uh, because, you know, kids, boys, they often think that they have to have the same level of success as their fathers or they see themselves like having to be like exactly who you are and what you represent and what they see as a man. And that often challenges them you know, in order to, to really even give it a shot because they're too afraid that if they miss the mark, they're either going to be judged by not only the world who says, oh, I can't believe you're coach's son and you can't shoot a basketball or you can't dribble. You're, you're Mark's son. You know, they believe that and when, you know, when, you know, his thing might be training. It may not be the game itself. It might be you'll come up with the best way to have a athlete, you know, recoup and 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 be ready to play. You don't know like what your real mm -hmm. contribution is until you actually do the thing. And mm -hmm. so, 
you know, I, I always say that that's hard for, you know, you know, sons a lot of times that they can they can really doubt themselves, because especially if they have successful parents. Yeah. And I find, I think that's so true. A lot of times, even in sports uh, and, you know, I, I see, you know, like in the sport of basketball or football, somebody has a son and like your son and, and boy, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure yeah. on them. And, and sometimes we don't even see it as much. Like I can remember my children growing up, you don't really see it but then later when they get older they begin to tell you about it like dad you know i didn't you know you didn't really know this or that but boy this was hard or you know everybody thought i was yeah. supposed to be the best basketball player on the court just because you know you're my dad and i didn't i wasn't very good or whatever you know and they, right. but they felt it and that that sometimes yeah. isn't fair yeah. but it's part of it so yeah and so you're right you're being able to kind of just instill confidence to recognize who they are what they can contribute recognizing that they are an individual that their unique story is going to be one that can help some other people and and to own that you know and and then you'll start finding your own way your own your, mm-hmm. your own light and design uh mm-hmm. you know opportunity for you to win in life so uh, you know, that's tough. You know, we live in a world where so much social media, so much fake images, people are selling you that they're bigger than what they are. And these kids see that they see kids their age, you know, that's already successful and got NIL deals and, and shoe contracts. And they, they sell shoes on the internet and they drive Ferraris and they're 16 and 17 years old. And it's usually fake. It's all social media stuff. <laughs> but again, if your kids growing up in that world, believing like right. this is a real thing, they can find themselves feeling not worthy and not adequate and and not ready to keep up with their peer group, you know, and that's that's always been a challenge. You know, that's always yeah. a challenge for young people in general right. is being able to keep mm-hmm. up with your peer group, whether it's reading or getting girls or, you know, mm-hmm. being able to stay up late. You know, some 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 kids, you know, their parents didn't care. They'd be out to 11, 30, 12 at night. <laughs> and you if you're not one of those kids, you're not one of the cool kids, you know. That's so right. next thing you know, you're right. rebelling and doing dumb stuff so that you can appear to be with the cool kids, uh, you know, so it's just a lot that we must challenge. And, and of course, as fathers and and leaders of community, uh, be willing to stand up for, you know, and, and give great encouragement to kids to know that they're going to make some mistakes yet. You know, you got to do that and, and, and know that you got to hopefully have an opportunity is not the kind of mistakes that will cost you real trouble in your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Said, do you find yourself at times, you know, I've watched your shows. I've been down uh, downtown with George Lopez and uh, D.H. Hughley, the guys, and you guys do a great yeah. job. Great shows. Everything's uh, really spectacular. But do you find right now, said like, you know, it's interesting times in our society and, and the whole cancel thing. Do, do you find yourself a little bit like, boy, I got to walk a little bit of a fine line or – or, you know, are you finding that or not? Or how, how do you navigate some of that? What's going on a little bit in Hollywood? I mean, it exists for sure. I mean, you know, council culture is one you got to be, you know, very aware of. You know, this goes back, uh, you know, with so many, you know, with, especially with me having, you know, a connection to CBS. Right. And I got this bigger corporation that they have, you know, responsibilities to other corporations because of the advertisement formula that they use. So again, it's one of these things that, you know, going, going around saying reckless things, saying things that, that could cause, 
you know, a, a large group of people to be offended uh, with, you know, though I may think that it's funny or I think it's, you know, it's something I really believe. You know, I think that, you know, I have to be aware of that. And, you know, and you have to know that that's a part of society. Uh, at the same time, you know, it is the job of the comedian to be a uh, provocateur, to be a one that is shining or putting the light on our society. So sometimes these jokes can be subversive in the sense that I want you to look at yourself as much as I, I say something that could be, you know, considered offensive. The joke is actually designed so that you can either see how did you respond? Were you offensive or did you not? Were you not offended by what I said? And that is a, a, that is the ideology behind this particular joke. And so, you know, you got to remember that comedians, that's their job. They you know, you have great comedians like George Carlin and Chappelle and these guys, uh, you know, that they they provoke, they prod, they pick and they they do that for uh, for a cause, not necessarily because they're being rude. Now, if people, you know, if people are just rude, you know, you going up and you just <laughs> saying offensive things about cultures and people and women and, you know, that's whack. You know, what I mean, so I'm, I've never really been that kind of comedian. But you don't, in a day of cancel culture, you yeah. have no idea what you, you could say know. that actually offends somebody. So nah. to that to that part of it, I don't worry about it that much. I just, if I got to find something funny, and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hopefully give it some thought, be who I am about it, and hopefully I'll say it in a way that lands. If I miss, then... You know, I'll hear that. I'll hear it out, and if it's a reason for me to say, like, yeah, all right, I missed on that one. I was wrong. I, I, I can admit to that too. But most of the time, I try not to be locked down before I tell a joke. Like, I'm not gonna not not say something that came to my head. Like, you know, so. Well, before I let you go, said you've been great, but I, I always have to apologize because remember that first time you came to my house, one of my buddies from Alabama, he was so excited to say hi. He went over to you and he, he tripped on the carpet and he, he spilled his food or his drink all over you. So every Just time got I go to back to party. Alabama, I, I go back to Alabama, I'm like, come on, man, really? Hell yeah, yeah. I just got to the party, man. <laughs> It don't, it don't, you know, we won't, we won't put it all out there because of your new engagement status, but it wasn't like we was over there by ourselves, man. So this dude made my outfit look bad in front of the ladies, man. <laughs> don't sell me out, said not on the podcast. <laughs> Not on the that's podcast. the old. That's the old days. I'm talking about, the old I'm talking about a long time, <laughs> long time ago. ago. <laughs> Ah, you're the best, man. You are the best. I appreciate your friendship, but I appreciate you just spending some time and hanging out. And this is the first episode, the front row uh, with Cedric the Entertainer. How about that? Let's go, man. This Joe show, baby. This front <laughs> row with Mark. Got Let's go, man. All right. Let's thank you, Sid. You have All a great right, brother. Man. I appreciate thank you, man. Okay. All right. I'll holler.